one of the things Mike said in his prayer especially struck me, that asking God to give us our, his hope, uh, jo- love. The other Advent theme is faith that he didn't mention, and even joy. Uh, and today is the Sunday of joy, but so often I think our approach to joy uh, in difficult seasons is that. Is joy really possible when life is hard? Is joy really possible in a difficult season when we've lost a loved one, even lost a child or a parent? Could we even have joy? This morning we're going to look at God's joy that he has for his new family. And we're continuing the sermon series we've started and focused on this Advent, how a new family changes everything. Each person, regardless of who we are or what we've done, uh, is invited to be a part of God's family and to receive as uh, part of our inheritance already now God's love, God's joy, a faith that God puts deep in our hearts and a deep and great hope for the future as well. To focus on joy, especially this morning, I want to start by reading Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 45. We already heard from the ladies Mary's song of celebration, but this comes just before Mary's song uh, when um, Mary got some news that her cousin was coming to visit her. So at that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home and was greeted and greeted Elizabeth, Zachariah's wife, uh, Mary's cousin. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Those last words, I think, are beautiful, and we want to start off from there. Blessed is her, blessed is she, who knows that God will fulfill his promises to her. I am told that there are few joys like carrying a child, and likewise, few joys like giving birth or having, having given birth to a child. It's that part in the middle where all the pain is. Between the pregnancy and the joy of a new life is the great pain of labor. Giving birth is so much work that we just call it what it is, labor, without getting into any details. This week, again, we look forward to the birth of Jesus. We celebrate the productive pain of Mary and Elizabeth and so many since Jesus. Some in our church are pregnant now. Others have loved ones who are pregnant and are looking forward not just to the birth of Jesus, but to another birth as well and another celebration. At the same time, two families in our church this week lost loved ones. They're facing death and grief. Still others this year remember those that they have lost, the death of a loved one or the loss of a relationship. We don't need to look far in our own lives, in our relationships, in our communities, or even in the news to see so much pain and grief and death around our world. 
But both death and birth remind us that Christians do not have the ability simply to play at life. To truly live, it's not enough to go through the motions and walk and talk and go to work. We must also feel, we must engage, we must love, and we, it seems, must also lose in order to be truly human and truly alive. To be human is to know pain and to know grief, but also to know joy. The story of Luke 1 that we just read connects the joy of carrying a child and the joy of the expectation for any child's birth to the specific fulfillment of God's promises to his people. God's promise to fulfill, or our hope, that God will fulfill his promises to us, that God will welcome us into a new family through which he will bless the whole world. In the past, it's been almost three years that I've had the privilege of being a pastor here, and in three years, I haven't seen us as an especially joyful church. I don't see everything. There easily could be lots of joy happening in other places where I don't notice it. But I experience us as a serious church, a thoughtful church. At times, we're happy in one circumstance or another, but... Often we are weighed down by the cares and worries of this world, of our personal situations, of the life of the broader church. We hope and we work for a better future, but we are not always joyful in our work, in our relationships, and in our own selves. In Advent, whatever our situation is, God reminds us, rejoice. And he doesn't just remind us, he calls us to rejoice. Christians rejoice by connecting to God's deep joy, the joy of creation, the joy of his love for us, and the joy of his spirit sustaining us. Christians don't have to wait for some different situation, some better future, or some challenge to be overcome in order to feel God's joy. Even in Advent, as we look again to Jesus' coming, or Jesus' birth and the second coming, we can be filled as God's people with God's joy. Pastor Harrison last week reminded us that the word Advent means coming or arrival, and that in the Old Testament, the Israelites had longed for their Messiah, their deliverer to come, and every prophecy concerning that Messiah's first coming or first Advent was fulfilled when Jesus came. Advent, again, is the season where we prepare our hearts to celebrate Christ's first coming, but also to anticipate and look forward to his second coming as judge and redeemer, the the completion, the end of God's plan of salvation. And so we eagerly, as Christians, await and look forward to our Savior coming again. But we also have joy in God, in God's family, and in his kingdom here and now in the present. The celebration of Advent didn't start the year after Jesus was born, but Christians have celebrated Advent in this season and this time of year for well over a thousand years now. For over a thousand years, the Christian church has said we want to take time each year to remember and celebrate Jesus' first coming and to anticipate his second coming as judge and redeemer. 
And for all this time and all of this waiting and looking back and looking forward, the third Sunday of Advent has always been the Sunday of joy. Today, we are reminded that joy is possible even in the midst of uncertainty. Joy is possible even in the midst of grief. Joy is possible even in the midst of death. God calls his people to rejoice always. This is in part because when anticipation and grief and death are over, joy remains. The Old Testament says that troubles may last for a night, but joy returns with the morning. How is this possible? What is this joy that Scripture talks about so often and so regularly? Is it possible, really, for Christians, as Paul says, to rejoice always? Well, imagine with me for a moment that you decide you're going to take a trip across the ocean. We, of course, live a ways from the ocean, and so at some point, you need to get yourself to the harbor and to get on that ship that's going to take you to the journey. And perhaps it's a bright and sunny day when you get on that boat. And the water's calm in the harbor. But as you get out to sea and you start your journey, the water gets choppier. The waves get higher. Maybe there's even a storm, maybe even a severe storm. At some point, there may seem to be danger everywhere. Loud noises, flashes. You might go below decks and stay there hoping to wait things out. But in this picture, the ship is not joy. The ocean surface is not joy. Up on the surface, anything can and does happen. All kinds of weather is possible. But in this picture that I'm inviting you to imagine, joy is the current that's deep within the ocean that brings warm water from the equator to the cold poles to sustain life on earth. I ask you to imagine a, a ship journey, but the truth is that all of us are on a journey. Every person experiences beautiful, sunny days and also storms of suffering and fear. For Christians, the joy of God is a deep current in our lives that continues to move us forward, continues to bring us life and sustain us on our journey. This joy is only possible in the long term if we are a part of God's family. If we're regularly and uh, always connected to God, the source of life. On our own, we can be overcome by just about any circumstance. We can be overwhelmed in many different and difficult situations. But when God is with us, God's deep joy can break into even the most difficult and dangerous situations. There's so many occasions in our lives and in our world when what God is doing in the deeps of the world and in the deeps of our lives, when it breaks in and touches the surface, the surface of our lives, our minds, our hearts, our community, our emotions. To put it another way, there's many times when joy breaks in to our ordinary lives. As a pastor, one of the great honors of my job is getting to visit with people who are hurting in our community, in our church, and sometimes in the broader community as well. This week, I met with campus ministers from our classes. 
as they grieve and wonder about uh, what has happened and why, and as they look to what is next and new, God is filling them with the joy of the Lord. Likewise, I met with the Grunewalds this, this past week as they prepare for Luke's funeral. I suggested that it might be especially hard to lose a loved one this time of year. And some of you know that too. One of them responded to me. They said, yes, of course it is. But we also have so much joy together as well. Add to that the fact that I heard that uh, Nalus was at the New West Symphony concert last night, singing with a hundred other young people, singing Christmas carols. The happiness and pleasure of life, even in ordinary things that we had already scheduled. The happiness and pleasure of life is God's joy and the joy of God's kingdom breaking into our ordinary world. Joy is always the result when God breaks into our present situation. We can think about this from the opposite side of things as well. Sometimes, often too often, too much, we look at our world of injustice, we look at our world of pain, we look at our world of sorrow, and we can't look away. But how do we know the things that we see? If we have only ourselves, injustice is simply a matter of opinion, not a matter of fact. If we have only ourselves, sin is a matter of perspective. What's okay for me might be terribly wrong for you. We can only know injustice because it stands against God's perfect justice. We only define sin because it stands against God's perfect righteousness. And we only know pain as not the way it's supposed to be because we have been introduced to God's good plan for the way the world is supposed to be. His good intention for our world and even for us, for you. As a result, people can't have lasting joy apart from God, the source of eternal light and life. God gives hints of his joy and connections to his joy to all people through his common grace. But for Christians, joy is even more important. Joy goes even deeper. We want more often and more regularly to connect with that deep current of God's joy. While any person might experience some joy from God breaking into their lives or their situation, Christians live a little bit differently. Christians put ourselves in Christ's shoes. We follow in his footsteps. We follow his example. That's what it means to be disciples. Not just to know what God has said in his word, not just to read about it, but to follow the example and the way of Jesus. And so Christians don't or shouldn't expect that our lives would be like the lives of everyone else. We're not working or living for a good life the way that the world defines it. We're working or living in order to follow Jesus. I wonder as we get now almost a week away from Christmas, have you considered even once this Christmas season how your life as a Christian, your celebration, your joy as a Christian is different from the life and the celebration of secular people around you? 
How your life and your joy as a Christian is different from the life or the joy of people who you love from other religions or other walks of life. Christian's joy is different because Christian's expectation for life is different. Our worldview is different. Christians expect, well, I'm, I'm following Jesus, therefore I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be crucified in some way. That's the main reason I'm here, to follow Jesus through his life, through his joys, through his sorrows, and to follow him even to death. Christianity is shaped by following a Savior whose method of deliverance and method of bringing joy is suffering and death for himself. So if we really want to serve others, to love others, then we're happy to give our time and give our money, to give our energy, to even to go without ourselves, even to suffer ourselves in hopes and intent and working that others might know joy, that others might know life. Jesus desired that his disciples, who became the church, that they would be the group of people in this world who were truly self-sacrificing, who were truly self-giving. Jesus' disciples were not supposed to do anything for themselves. They weren't supposed to do anything for their own good, but only and always be serving others. Imagine if you knew people like that, church. I look around, and many people in my generation look around, and we look at the government, whoever's in power, or federal or provincial. We look at the banks and the other institutions in our world, even the things that proclaim or promise to help us. And we say, yeah, but they're kind of just doing it for themselves. What if there was really a group of people who didn't do anything for their own good, but only and always served others? Jesus' disciples were called to do this as we are called to live this way. Because Jesus lived this way. And they followed him. And we follow him. When we live this way, even when we direct our lives imperfectly in this direction of living out of love and self-giving for others, we fulfill Jesus' words in John 15. Jesus says to his disciples, I've given you these instructions... Love, your God, your, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself and a few others. I've given you these instructions so that my joy, Jesus says, may be in you and that your joy may be complete. If we want complete joy as Christians, we're not going to find it looking to the ways and places that our world looks. We will only find complete joy in Jesus. And Jesus filling us and in following Jesus, with more and more of who we are. Jesus is the deep current of joy that sustains our world, that runs through our lives. Jesus wants his joy to be complete. And for you, for me, to have complete joy, you can only find it with God. For you to find lasting joy, you can only find it with God. The happiness and the joys of our world always depend on our situations. Again, like that surface of the ocean, we can't be calm unless the sun is out, unless the weather's nice, unless we're in a good situation. 
As a result, happiness comes and goes because easy and good situations come and go. Just like the weather, good times never last. But God's joy is based on relationship with him and is possible anywhere and everywhere. On life's journey, we can always be connected to the deep joy of, or the deep current of God's joy. As we mature in our lives and relationships with God, we often find two things. First, we find that as we look at the life of a child, we miss the fact that a a young kid can just be perfectly and utterly joyful. As we get older, our joy seems always to be touched or colored by the pain and the brokenness of our past by the memory of the person whom we've lost or the experience that has changed the way that we see the world. The second thing we find as we grow older and mature in our relationship with God, we often find that the same temptations and the same struggles come back again and again and again. The first time they show up, we may be surprised by them. Excuse me, the first time they show up, we're not surprised by them. We face them head on. When someone we love dies, we expect to be sad. We expect to grieve. We expect to be hurt. But the second time our grief, our pain, our sorrow comes back, we are surprised by it. It hits us in unexpected times and unexpected ways. But year over year, as we continue to live our lives, our grief, our pain, our sorrow, our worries may become like old, familiar friends. Not welcome friends, but someone or something we know, that we understand, and that we see on a regular basis. We find as we get older that our griefs, our pains, our struggles, our worries never truly, finally go away. They show up in different situations. They show up at different surprising times. I've experienced any number of grief or temptation or pain in my life, as I know each and all of us have. One of my personal temptations is always to think that I'm worthless. I think to myself, well, I need to work hard in order to be useful, and then if I'm useful, then I'll be valuable. When I was a young person, a young kid in school, I worked really hard in school. I got good grades, and so I felt good about myself. But it wasn't enough. There's always more to do. In my adulthood, the same temptation comes back in relationships, in my role as pastor. It doesn't feel enough to care for people and to do my work to the best of my abilities. I have to make sure that I'm useful to others, and then I'll be valuable. But of course, trying to be useful to other people or please every person is an impossible task. We can't take the place of God and fill every person's needs. And I can't find joy in what I'm able to do or accomplish. I can only find lasting joy in what Christ has already accomplished. What God has won already for me. The same is true for you. 
Whatever struggle or grief or pain or loss that you face, it comes back again and again in new and different ways. Probably some of these griefs or pains or loss you will wrestle with and face and meet again and again for many years of your life. You will not be able to overcome them on your own, in your own strength. You're not that smart. You're not that powerful. You're not that good. But God is. He is powerful. He is able. He is good. And he is with you. The psalmists wrote any number of psalms in the Old Testament. There's a whole book of 150 of them. And in Psalm 116, the psalmist is clearly reflecting on all of these things, the way that all of these characteristics of who God is and also what God has done for him. And the psalmist asks in Psalm 116, what shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? The Jewish rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel comments, when life is the answer, in other words, when I return my life to the Lord, death is a homecoming. So just elaborate on that a little bit. If we see how good God is to us, we can find joy in returning every little thing to him. If we see how much God has blessed us with our finances, we can find joy in returning just a small tithe, only 10% of all that God has given me. We can find joy in giving our time to others who can benefit from our service, our care, or our sitting with them in silence. We can find joy in prioritizing the needs and the well-beings of others. We can find joy and use our bodies with joy when they're strong to help those who are weak. We can use our minds, our intellects, our skills with joy to do beautiful and creative and helpful things, not just for ourselves, but also for others. But all of our giving does not repay God for all that he has given us. We simply can't do it. So even when we die, we can return to God the life that he has so richly given us. We all long for joy that goes beyond our situation. It's part of being human, wanting to be satisfied, wanting to be happy, wanting to find joy that lasts, especially a joy that sustains us in difficult times. As Christians, we can consider the life of Jesus. We can consider the life of Paul. These lives are up from beginning to end are told in the pages of Scripture. We can also look at the lives of the disciples that are started in Scripture and then finished in and recorded in history. All of these, without going into too many details, all of these were beaten and abandoned and suffered many times. In the midst of such difficult lives, what could continue to motivate them? What could possibly uh, enable them and encourage them to continue on the path that they were on? Only a deep joy. 
Only the deep knowledge of God with them, sustaining them, and from, the, from his depths, filling them up time and time again. Christians often look ahead during Advent with eager anticipation to the future joy that will come when God's kingdom is here forever. Otherwise, we look behind to the birth of Jesus. We can be enamored and hopeful about the joy that Revelation 21 talks about. John hears this loud voice from God's throne say, Look, and this is the future that Scripture pictures. Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people. He will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. This is the future picture for God and his people, for God and his new family. But brothers and sisters, Advent is not just a time to look back and not just a time to look forward. It's an invitation to come and worship the king now. Advent is an invitation to taste and see and experience God's kingdom, God's glory, and God's joy now. To see that God's kingdom and his power are already present and already active in our world. And even in your life. Not in that they can be, not that they might be or will be, but that they are. That God is here. That God's people, God's new family don't have to wait until the end of all things. We don't have to wait until the, the next year. We don't have to wait until some struggle is over. We can know the joy that comes from God now. If it's possible for people who are oppressed in any number of places around the world and in history, if they can know God's joy, if a grieving person or a grieving family can also know God's joy, then you can too. Look around. God's joy is for every person here. Not all of you are looking around. Some, most of you are too polite but when you look around, others will be looking at you. God's joy is for you too. Not just for others here. It's not just a joy for the future. It's not just a joy for the past. It is for you. And it is for you today. So let's come to God in prayer and ask him for more of his joy. As individuals and as a church. Please, please pray with me. God, we come to you this morning. Perhaps we even need to confess that we are not always joyful the way your word instructs us. But God, we know well that we can't force it in our broken world. It's not enough to paste a smile on our face and pretend that things are okay. That doesn't make it so. So God, we ask this morning as we have every Advent, that you would give us the joy, not just of your son's birth and your coming kingdom in this world in the past, not just the joy of your future reign and rule where every wrong will be made right. Lord, that would be enough. But because you promise us your kingdom in your life now, we dare even ask for your joy here with us this morning.
God, we ask not because we are worthy of it, but because of your Son, Jesus, our Lord. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.